Exmoor. Good morning to everyone. Welcome to Woodburn Baptist Church. Those of you in the overflow, God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Uh, take your Bibles along with the rest of us and open to Ephesians chapter 5. At the Franklin campus, Pastor Eric, all the rest, we love you so much. Welcome to I Love My Church Day. I Love My Church Day. We can only call this day I Love My Church as long as we all fully recognize and understand that it's not our church. It's not my church. It's not truly your church. This is the Lord's church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. It's his church. It's his church all day long. It's his church for all eternity. But the amazing thing is, as the scripture says, he gives us the keys. It's his church. But he gives us the keys, and he gives us his authority, and he calls us into life, and he calls us into the world to serve him. And I'm telling you, this church is our church. He gives it over to us. It will be in our lifetimes what we make it to be by the power and will of Jesus. Do you understand that? We love our church. It's our church. It's ultimately his church. But this church is going to be very much what we make it to be in faithfulness to the Lord. Which is why I call you this morning to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 8, read through verse 20. Take out a pen. I want you to underline a few verses. This is good stuff. There are two different, very, very clear instructions for your life and my life. And I want you to underline those in verse 10 and then in verse 17 and follow along. This is all good. This is the word of the Lord for our church on I Love My Church Day. It's also the word of the Lord for your life. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8. Once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Verse 10, underline this. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Underline that. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. That's the only thing that matters. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, quoting scripture, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but underline this. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I was 20 years old before I ever flew in my first airplane. I, I was, as you know, just a, a redneck kid growing up in Matlock. Out, Matlock is a suburb of Woodburn, very, very small community, you know it. I grew up in Matlock. I'd never been anywhere, probably never more than a couple of hours from Matlock until I was, uh, I was about 20 years old, and, uh, and, and I took my first airplane flight. I don't know, I assume that some of you, most of you have probably taken an airplane ride maybe multiple times, but that first time is always just really amazing. The first airplane flight is, is, is just magical, and I was taking it all in. Now, I was flying by myself, which was awesome, because I felt like I looked so cool. 
I mean, I'm at the airport, and I assumed that everybody there must be rich, because I always have thought that only rich people could fly. So I'm at the airport thinking, I'm rich. I must be rich, and I must be as important as all of these other people. I really felt like a dude. I'm probably, I looked to everybody else more like Urkel you know, in the airport or, or Jethro Bodine or, or, or just whatever. I'm sure I didn't look as impressive as I felt, but I felt awesome it, just in the airport. Got on the airplane, I'm sitting there straight up in my seat, I and mean, I'm looking at everything. I want to push every button. I mean, it's just the most amazing thing. And, and then the flight attendants come, and they stand in that center aisle. You know what I'm getting to? They stand in the center aisle, and they begin the, the, the safety demonstration talk. You, you know what I'm talking about? And so they start talking about the, the, the airline safety, and the first thing they say is that there's a card with all of this information in the pocket of the seat in front of you. You should review this information. So I'm following every instruction. I, I reach and I, I get the card. I pull it out. I'm about to read it. But they just continue. They're flying through this information. What's first? The seat belt, and they have a, you know, a seat belt, they pull it out, it's a fake one, but it dangles and they pull it out and they demonstrate the buckle, they hold it up and show you how to buckle. So I'm there, I'm just trying to follow instructions exactly. And they tell you to buckle your seat belt and then make sure it's secure. Now I'm looking at the seat belt. Those airline seat belts are, are, are like a, a Boy Scout belt. You know what I'm talking about? They are so flimsy and nothing. And I'm thinking, is this secure? Should the pilot come back and inspect my seatbelt? I mean, it just didn't feel secure. But they just keep flying. And the more they talk, the scarier it gets. They use this phrase, in the event of a sudden loss of cabin pressure. Now, I'm just starting to think about what that would be, a sudden loss of cabin pressure. Then they show you where your oxygen mask will fall out of the ceiling and dangle in front of your face. Now, this is beginning to get serious to me. Under what circumstance will an oxygen mask drop out and dangle in front of my face? This sort of shows you how to put it on. She's so cheerful. Just put it on securely. And they just continue through this. The more they talk, the more alarmed I become. Then they use the magical phrase, in the event of a water landing. Water landing. Okay, I may be from Matlock, but I have a pretty good idea. If we end up in water, we didn't land. You understand? If we wind up in water, we did not land. There is no such thing as a water landing. If we are in water, we have crashed. And what do they tell you? In the event of a water landing, your seat cushion becomes a flotation device. Have a nice flight. In the event of a water landing, my best bet is a $2 piece of foam. That's what they have to give me. I'm telling you, it is enough to make you spend the whole flight in the crash position. It is enough to make you absolutely get up and walk off the plane. But here's the thing. The whole time the flight attendants are talking, I think I'm the only one in the whole airplane who's listening. The guy in front of me is asleep. He slept through the whole part about if the cabin suddenly fills up with smoke, there'll be lights going down both aisles. He slept through that. He slept through it. What part of this whole thing is not a matter of life and death? What part of everything they say is not the most urgent information that we need? But at the very same time, even the flight attendants have no emotion. They just show you how to put the oxygen mask on as if the most important, most important part would be not to mess up your hair in the back. 
This is the way the whole thing is demonstrated, and everybody just snoozes right through it. Why are they so at ease? Why do people sleep through the airline safety demonstration? Why is it that the second or the third time I flew in an airplane, I didn't listen either? Why is that? It's because of what experts call the normalcy bias. It's a part of the way all of our brains work. It's called the normalcy bias. You know what a bias is? Bias is when you tend to think in a certain way without even really thinking about it. We just tend to bend toward a certain direction. And the normalcy bias is our tendency to always bend toward the assumption that everything's going to be normal. That everything is going to happen just like it's always happened. And every time you get on an airplane, it takes off and then it lands gently. And the oxygen masks never drop out and dangle. And you've never had to float in the Atlantic Ocean on a $2 seat cushion. It's never happened. That's not normal. And we have this normal seat bias. I just assume that everything is going to continue like everything has always gone. It's called the normal seat bias. For the most part, it's the way we live our lives. We just simply assume that everything's going to be normal, and therefore we always respond as if everything is normal. Now, of course, the whole point of this safety demonstration is to teach you how to respond in a very rare and highly unlikely event that things don't turn out normally. You need to understand how to respond if very rare or highly unlikely situation unfolds and things aren't normal, you've got to know how to act. This is why the safety, the safety demonstration is so critical. Because if you're facing danger, you can't act normal. You can't act as if everything is normal. As a matter of fact, in our lives, there are really two kinds of situations Two types of situation that are really, maybe you'd say rare and highly unlikely, but at the same time, they come. We face two kinds of situations that are not normal. And when things are not normal, it is a grave mistake to act like things are normal. Those two situations very simply are danger and opportunity. Danger and opportunity. When danger comes or when opportunity comes, it is not normal and you cannot act as if everything is normal. It is a horrible mistake to act as if everything is normal when you're facing danger or opportunity. Turn to the scriptures with me. I, I leave my Bible down. Where did it go? Wow, the amazing disappearing Bible. That's great. Take a look at one verse with me. Take a look at verse 16. Where Paul says an amazing thing, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity, verse 16. Make the most of every opportunity. The words he uses there are, are something like redeem the time. The first word, the verb, is redeem. It's an economic verb, and it has to do with money. Redeem the time. It's a way of saying you got to cash in the time, or you got to spend the time as it comes. It's a very simple, very simple principle of life, and that is that time comes and time goes, and you have to spend it as you get it. You can't save it. You can't stock it up. You can't postpone it, slow it down, or speed it up. When moments come your way, you simply have to cash them in. 
Every single loving moment of your life, you've got to cash it in. You've got to spend it when you have it because it doesn't come back around. It's an economic term. Redeem the time. Cash in the time. But understand, that word he's using for time, the one the New Living translates opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. The word there literally is, is time. And I want you to understand that. Redeem the time. Make the most of your time. But, but here's the thing. Paul's writing in, in the Greek language. And in the Greek language, there are actually two different words for time. We don't have that in the English language. We just have the word time. But Paul had two words available to him, and they're very different. The first word is a general word for time, and it's chronos. Chronos, it's a Greek word. Say it. Say chronos. Chronos. It's where you get the word chronological, uh, chronograph, all of the words that have to do with time. The word chronos is just a general word for one moment following another. One second tick tock tick. Talk, following the other. Kronos is a general word for time. And Paul could have used that word, but he did not. He used a second word for time, and we don't have a word like it. That word is the Greek word kairos. Say kairos. Kairos. Kairos is a different word for time. And it's a whole different concept of time. When Paul says, make the most of every kairos, what he means is sort of what we would say, the moment of truth. Or maybe a moment of, of decision. The idea is that time is not all equal. There are uh, moments that you would call chronos time, just one moment following another. But in your life, there are moments that are not normal. There are moments that are not simply the clock going tick-tock, tick-tock. There are moments of opportunity. There are moments of danger. There are moments when you must know how to respond. Because if you respond as if, if everything is normal, you could wreck your life or you could miss the boat. Not every moment in your life is the same. Not every day of your life is the same. There are opportunities. There are dangers. And you are a fool if you don't learn that. You're a fool if you do not understand that. Because notice what the scripture says in two places in this passage. First in verse 10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And then verse 17, understand what the Lord wants you to do. You see, the most important point of your life is you live to serve God. You live to serve him. And so your task in every single moment, every moment that you live, your responsibility is to find out what God wants you to do. As a church, on this day of all days, I want us to consider what God wants us to do. To consider what pleases him. The only way we can do that is in the context of figuring out what time it is. Are we living in normal time, normal moments for us? Or is Woodburn Baptist Church, or are you in your personal life facing some kairos kinds of moments? A, a crisis kind of moment for you. A moment of truth. A moment of decision. A moment of danger. A moment of opportunity. You've got to know. You've got to understand your situation. Currently, as I speak, there is a lawsuit pending against the Google Corporation. Y'all know about Google? 
Google is huge. Google's going to run the world. They started a war this past week, I heard. It's amazing. Google is amazing. A woman named Lauren Rosenberg is suing Google. Do you know why? Because Lauren Rosenberg is one of those people for whom her cell phone is an appendage. It never leaves her hand. Do y'all know anybody like this? I mean, her cell phone is always in her hand in front of her face. This is Lauren Rosenberg, always on her phone. And she was out taking a walk in Park City, Utah with her phone. Understand? So she's walking along in Park City, Utah, and she decides that she wants to go to, to Prospector Avenue. Now, you folks who know a lot about everything, if you're out these days and you want directions, what do you do? You Google it. You Google it. So she's out for a walk. She Googles the, the, best, the best route to Prospector Lane in Park City, Utah. And Google Maps lays out, lays out a journey for her, a course. Tells her every turn to make. Google's awesome for that, aren't they? Isn't that awesome? So here she is, she's out for a walk on her cell phone, and she's following the directions for Google, and Google leads her off one place and then leads her to take route Highway 242. Okay, do you understand? Take Highway 242. She's looking at her phone. She steps right out into Highway 242 and gets run over. She gets run over. She's suing the man who ran over her, and she's suing Google. Why is she suing Google? Because Lauren Rosenberg says Google should have warned her that there were cars. Google should warn her that there are cars. You know, I think I could settle this lawsuit real quickly. I could settle this quickly. Because, I mean, I mean honestly, it's a highway. It is a highway. There will be cars. If you step out into traffic, you're going to get run over. I, I got a suggestion for you, honey. Maybe instead of suing Google, you just put down your phone. Why don't you put down your phone and look around you? Why don't you do what your mama taught you and watch for cars? Did you understand? A woman who's living with such a lack of situational awareness, so focused on her phone that she gets run over in traffic and sues Google. We need situational awareness, all of us. We need to raise our heads and open our eyes and pay attention to what's happening around us. And as a church especially, I think this is urgent. Very, very important that we as Woodburn Baptist Church recover a sense of situational awareness. Where are we? What's happening around us? There may have been a time in Woodburn Baptist Church history when we were sort of strolling along with Lauren Rosenberg along a path with deer. But our situation has changed, and maybe we're about to step out into traffic. If that is true, we need to know. We need situational awareness, not just so that we can be aware, not just so that we can avoid getting run over, but so that we can do the only one thing that matters, and that is to do what pleases the Lord. We want to do what pleases the Lord, and so we have to know is this a normal time for us? Is this just another Sunday? Or is this Sunday, this very day for you, a turning point, a, a day of decision? Is there an opportunity or a danger that you are facing today or that our church is facing today for which we would be foolish 
if we're not aware, we've got to understand what the Lord's will is. That means we've got to understand what kind of time we're living in, what kind of moment this is. Make the most of every opportunity, Paul says. You've got to cast in every single moment. You've got to spend it when you have it. Let me remind you of the most obvious thing in the world, and that is simply you don't have all the time in the world. You do not have all the time in the world. Time flies. We were dedicating Josiah Hughes this morning in worship, and before the service, I went to check on him. I always do that. I try to go and, and see the baby and make sure the, uh, the baby isn't scared of me. And, and the first thing Lucas says, I think Amanda said, is he's very full. He could spit up. Well, they all do. They all are full. I can hear their bellies jostling while, while I'm walking. That's just part of it. But I said, no, no baby's puked on me since the last one. And I turned around and I looked at the last baby that puked on me. He's a big kid. He's a giant kid. If he puked on me today, I'd drown. This is a big kid now. And I'm looking, thinking, how did that happen? When did that kid grow up? I was just carrying him around through the congregation going, oogie boogie, oogie boogie, and he puked on my suit. It was just a few minutes ago, but in that few minutes, this kid grew up. Time flies. Lucas Hughes was a kid riding his bike around our parking lot until he grew up, got married, and had a baby. Isn't it amazing? Time flies, and your life is flying by. You've got to understand that. Our lives as Woodburn Baptist Church are very, very short. Our opportunity to serve God is very, very brief, but understand something. It's exactly the right length. God has work for you to do, and God has work for me to do, and God has allotted for me exactly the right amount of time for me to do his will. God has allotted exactly the right amount of time for me to serve him and accomplish everything he has for me. And at Woodburn Baptist Church, he has allotted us just so much time, and it's exactly enough time to do his purpose. Exactly enough time. Not a minute more, not a minute less. Don't you understand this? So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, if God has given me enough time to do his will, I'll just start late. I'll start late and then God will have to let me live till I can finish it. What is wrong with you? Don't you understand? It doesn't work that way. He allots you the time. Either you accomplish his purpose or you don't. That's on you. But he gives you everything necessary to fulfill his will. And your clock is ticking. So is mine. My time runs out. It's absolutely unreal for me to recognize that I've been your pastor for 14 years. Where does 14 years go? And what will the next 14 years bring? I have no idea. But the only thing I know is it's going to fly by. It's going to fly by. Time flies. But we have exactly enough time, exactly the right amount of time to do God's work. And the clock's ticking. The other thing I probably need to tell some of you is that you're not necessarily accomplishing more because you're busy. The fact that your life is so full, that does not mean that you're accomplishing more. What that means actually is that you are trying to cram more into your life than God intended. You are trying to do more than God ever meant for you to do. And that, my friends, is not serving God. That's not accomplishing anything. 
The fact that you're so busy that you can't eat without your stomach hurting. The fact that you're so busy that you have a constant migraine headache. This is not a sign that you're serving God well. Do you understand? You're not accomplishing more just because you're busy. It's only a sign that you're trying to do more than God ever intended. God gives us exactly the amount of time and everything we need to do his will. And we have to understand what pleases him. I've noticed at Woodburn Baptist Church, both campuses and in all of our lives, what trips us up is, is this game that we played with God. It's a game of, 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 it's, it's a game of wins and thens. Wins and thens. It works like this. We, we tell ourselves, when the economy improves, then I'll be more generous with my money. When the recession sort of dies down, then we can start talking about moving the church forward again. When the offerings pick up, then we can talk about building or, or planting another church. You understand what I'm talking about? It, it's a game of wins and, and thens. In our personal lives, we'll say things like, when, 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 my, when my children are grown, then I'll get busy and I'll, I'll really do some things for God. When, when my, my children are in school, then I'll get involved in, in, in a Bible study. When, when I stop hurting so bad, when my arthritis, maybe when I'm not hurting, then I'll get out and I'll try to, I'll try to help my neighbors. You understand how this works? It, it's a game of wins and thens. When we get more workers, we say at the Franklin campus, when we have more workers, then maybe we'll get more work done. When somehow, when, when, when other people step up, maybe then we'll have a team and we can go to work. When, when God opens doors or, 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 or when, uh, when Saturday comes or when Monday comes or, or maybe after I retire or, 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 or when, when my husband finally kills over and dies or, or, or when I can find a car that runs. When something else happens, then I'll serve God, then I'll get busy. When this happens, then I'll serve the Lord. Do you understand how we have so many whens around here that the thens never come? You understand what I'm saying? We got so many whens that the thens never come. We never get around to serving God. We never get around to doing what God has called us to do. And we've got to understand that the time to serve God is now. The time to do what God wants us to do is right now, this present moment. This is now, and you've got to understand what the Lord's will is. And the Lord's will is for you to serve him now. No whens, no thens, now. You do what he wants you to do now. And as a church, we have to serve him now. It's not a matter of when something else happens. All of the whens and thens are in God's hands. If he calls us, we move. If he instructs us, we follow. If he directs us, we go. We do his will now. No whens and thens. Now, when he instructs, when he directs, we move. It's the only way to serve him. We serve him now. So, so as pastor, I want to say three things. I, I want to talk about danger and opportunity at Woodburn Baptist Church. Let's start with danger. Because I don't think this is a normal time. I know that some of us have been a part of Woodburn Baptist Church for years, decades even. But this is not a normal time. I think we face very, very unique dangers right now. And very unique opportunities. And we've got to see that. Let's start with danger. 
I think the first real danger for Woodburn Baptist Church is that we backslide. I think that's a real danger for us right now, that we start to slide backwards. I think that we would do that by just sort of slouching toward unfaithfulness, and it probably wouldn't happen quickly. It would happen slowly. It happens slowly because we get tired. We get weary of working. And the good folks at Franklin are working hard and stepping out into a mission field. And God bless you. But we can't begin now to get weary and want to stop and give up. We just can't do that because there are moments of opportunity on us now. We can't begin to become unfaithful. We can't sit back and hope that others will step forward. We are the only ones there are that can step forward and do the purpose of God at Woodburn Baptist Church. We can't slouch toward unfaithfulness. If we backslide, understand, it probably wouldn't be devastating right away. It would take some time. The first people that would suffer because Woodburn Baptist Church slides backward would be the lost and dying in our community would be the loss that we do not reach, the doors we never knock on, the families that we never impact with the gospel. They'd feel it first, but we don't know them, do we? We don't know them, and so we wouldn't feel that right away. We could slide backwards, and for a time, the only people who would suffer would be people we don't know. Missionaries on the mission field and people far away that we impact every day. We slide back, they suffer, but we wouldn't feel that. It would be some time before we begin to feel the effects of our own backsliding. It would begin with people suffering out there, but then it would be our own children and grandchildren. Do you understand? The, the next wave of those who suffer are our children and grandchildren who would suffer because of our unfaithfulness. Because we have not served God, they won't serve God. you understand how it works? Our children and grandchildren suffer next, and then before long, in one generation, this church dies. This church dies. That's exactly how it happens. Now, whether the doors remain open or closed, the church is dead. Do you get that? Lots of dead churches have worship every Sunday. We could become one of those dead churches. It, it, it is always a real option and a real danger. Woodburn Baptist Church has a particular moment of danger right now because we could backslide. We could always backslide, and it would be devastating, but we might not feel it at first. The danger of backsliding. The second danger, I think, facing Woodburn Baptist Church right now is the danger of division. It's a danger of division. I know that this is likely because I know this much about the devil. I know this much about how the enemy works. Woodburn Baptist Church for something like 147 years has been this remarkable family of God. This remarkable family of unity and purpose and love. And I know that all of the forces of evil must hate that. And I know that the surest way, the quickest way to cripple a church is just to begin turning people against each other. And this is a moment right now when the devil could do that to us. I think we face a very unique moment of the danger of division. Part of this is because of, of, of our decision to start a second campus. It's a wonderful thing, a marvelous thing. But you've got to understand that the devil would love to turn one campus against the other. I don't see that happening, but the devil sees it happening. Do you, do you hear me? Would love to turn one campus against the other. Listen to me, Franklin. The devil would love that. Would love to turn one leader against the other. I don't see that happening, but the devil sees it happening. 
Oh, the devil would just love to start turning one family against another family, one group of leaders against another group of leaders. The devil would love to do that. It's the oldest trick in the book. It's really the only trick he's got when it comes to devastating churches. There's the danger of division. But since we know that it would be the devil behind that, surely we won't fall for that junk. Did you understand? When you know that it is the devil who wants to divide us, then we should never fall for that. That's his trick to divide us. It's a real danger that that could happen. We must never let that happen. Danger of backsliding, the danger of division. Now let's talk about opportunity for a moment. I don't think this is just another Sunday. I don't think this is just another time in Woodburn Baptist Church's history. I think there are opportunities here that are amazing that our parents and grandparents never could have imagined, but they are here before us now. And knowing that we face this moment of opportunity, we've got to spend it. We've got to make the most of it. We've got to redeem this time. We cannot respond as if everything is normal. This is not normal. It's a different kind of time. It's a time of opportunity and decision and a time that demands courage and and sacrifice and love and boldness and all the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not normal. It's not natural. It's supernatural. But the opportunities are real and, and they're wonderful. Franklin Campus, we have a real opportunity to to create a a place of radical racial healing in Franklin. In Franklin of all places, a a place where everybody can come into the same church and be welcome and be loved and find grace and fellowship. We can do that in Franklin. I don't know that it's ever happened before. They're still telling me it can't happen. I still have people in Franklin tell me this will never work. It's working. It's an opportunity though, a tremendous opportunity to bring people together as the gospel always does. Well, they're not going to come watch people preach on TV. They are. That They are. People will say it can't be done, but it's being done. And not just by us, by people everywhere. This is a time of tremendous opportunity. Technology brings opportunity. Now, understand something as a church, and, and the deacons are the only ones that we've talked about with this, but, but listen to what's What's possible? had a church planter contact our church from Perry, Oklahoma. Perry, Oklahoma. He would like to partner with our church to help his church start in Perry, Oklahoma. That's an opportunity. It's possible. I don't know if it's the Lord's will yet, but do you understand what's possible? We could plant churches anywhere. We could really do it anywhere, anywhere that God leads, any door that God opens, but we've got to be paying attention. We've got to be aware of our situation. We can't assume that this is a normal time. Maybe these opportunities are once in a lifetime. We could plant churches everywhere, anywhere in the world. We could do that now. Our grandparents couldn't. We can. This is different. This is amazing. What we can do in Franklin, what could be done in Oklahoma, what could be done around the world. Opportunities. We could send missionaries anywhere in the world now. Do you know that missionaries, when they would go to the mission field, they used to pack all of their belongings in a wooden box. That box was their coffin. They would pack their belongings in their coffin and they would get on the ship and they would go to the mission field and they would know they would never come home again. 
It was a big deal to send somebody to the other side of the world. It was a one-way trip. Do you understand? We fly all over the world now. We can send missionaries anywhere. Kelly and Trisha Lawrence have gone to Honduras in the past year. God bless them. I'm so proud of that. Do you understand? They left their lives. They left their home. They left their business. Trisha left a dream job. And they've gone to serve God in Honduras for the sake of the poor there. What a wonderful, wonderful testimony. And our church is behind that. We can send missionaries anywhere, so we've got to. We've got to send more. More of you need to be stepping up and be willing to go. You have no idea what God plans to do, but it's a moment of opportunity. I love hearing Kelly Lawrence talk about language school in Costa Rica. Y'all know Kelly. He speaks English with a real southern drawl, and some people wouldn't recognize it as English. Kelly says that they sent him to Costa Rica to learn Spanish so now he can be functionally illiterate in two languages. Illiterate in two languages. I love that. But let me tell you something about Kelly Lawrence. I don't know anything about his Spanish. But I know his heart breaks for the work of the Lord. And I know that the love in his heart is genuine. And I know that that love communicates in any language And though they've only been on the field for about a year, the impact that they are making is amazing. It's amazing. Just a little while ago, they were just two people sitting on the pews here like you are now. I'm saying we can be sending more missionaries, and we've got to. There's a world out there, a big world out there. Why in the world would there be 600 people worshiping God in Woodburn Baptist Church, 600 capable, smart, wealthy people, when there's a world out there in poverty that needs to hear the gospel? You and I could go. You and I could tell them we've got to seize a moment of opportunity. These opportunities may not come back to us again. We can do something for the Lord. We've got to understand what pleases Him. We can turn out a generation of teenagers that will absolutely impact a culture. We can do that. We've got to get behind them. We've got to pray for them. We've got to pour our guts into discipling them. But Woodburn Baptist Church could do that. We plant churches. How do you plant churches? By raising up pastors and teachers and deacons. We can turn out a generation of teenagers who could change the world. Woodburn Baptist Church could do that. Maybe this is one of those moments where if you act like every everything is normal, we miss something. We miss something that God wants to do with us. We can't miss that. We can't. Maybe this is not an ordinary moment of our lives. Maybe it's not just another moment in your life. Maybe you right now are facing a real decision, a real opportunity, or maybe real danger. You'd be foolish not to stop and become aware of your situation. You'd be foolish not to look up from your life and try to figure out what would please the Lord right now. I know, I know it's not convenient for you now. I know that you'd like to go ahead and finish school or maybe when you could go to school or, or maybe once the kids are grown, when and then, when and then you keep playing the game. Give that up. Give it up. The time for serving him is now. Whatever God's asking you to do, you take that next step now. Now, and as a church, as Woodburn Baptist Church, we've got to understand what pleases the Lord. Sunday after Sunday, 
of powerless worship and people with no purpose, that does not please God. Although that may be how most churches get along. I can't imagine that's why God has called us here. I can't imagine that's why Christ died. Maybe there are real opportunities for us. Maybe this time, this particular moment in, in our lives when all of us come together as we do in the Holy Spirit, maybe God has something absolutely unimaginable planned for us. Maybe the moment of faithfulness, the moment of courage, the moment of sacrifice, real sacrifice is here for us. I don't know. I don't really know all of the dangers and opportunities that face us, but I do know that no matter what comes, I want to be found doing what pleases the Lord. I want to be found in the middle of a church that lives for one purpose, and that is to make the most of every opportunity God brings. This is a moment of opportunity. God has given it to us. Now we've got to cash it in. We have to cash it in. Pray with me. God, it cannot happen in our life as a church until it happens in our lives as individuals. God, I pray that you would wake up sleepers from their sleep in this congregation. Those, Lord, who are walking sleepily, thoughtlessly through their lives with no real, uh, no real accounting, Lord, for the brevity of life and the enormity of your purposes. No real awareness of the situation of opportunity and danger. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would wake people up. Wake teenagers up in this congregation, Lord. Wake teenagers up to understand that life isn't going to start after high school or after college. This is life, and it's the only life they get to serve you. Help grown-ups to understand, Lord, that there is no when and then and after this and maybe later, Lord. There may be no later. We only have this moment, this moment of opportunity and danger and promise. And Lord God, I pray that every moment that comes by in our lives, I pray that we spend them as they come and that we spend them for your glory. Spend them for your purposes. Oh, Jesus, let us live for you. Live to please you. Live to do your will. Oh God, would you use us to be a part of something in Perry, Oklahoma? Or at Good Shepherd, Honduras? Would, would you use us on other continents and other places? Would you use us to start a revival in local schools and a local community? Could our church somehow after 150 years become genuinely good news for this community? God, can you do something in Franklin that people will talk about for generations? Oh, God, if that pleases you, then we offer ourselves. Oh, God, our lives are so short. Our lives are so brief. Our lives have no significance apart from you. So, Lord Jesus, let us find our significance, our purpose, our courage. Let's find these things in you that we might serve you. Now, let us serve you now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.